Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick, and I'm glad you're here. This episode's brought to you by Sion. I'll be sharing more about them a little later in the episode, but for now, if you're curious, you can learn more about them at seon.io. So diving into today's conversation with a fraud fighter, One of the biggest challenges for fraud fighters isn't around fighting challenges outside of their company. It's to be understood, appreciated, and listened to within their organization. This is something I know firsthand from my times of being on the front lines of fraud fighting. And honestly, I don't even know how many times I'm asked by people in the industry, especially on the merchant side, who say something to the effect of, I don't feel like my company understands what I do, or they don't get the importance, or they don't understand that I need to know about these things before the customers do. Just all kinds of things. And I'm sure a lot of you listening can relate to this. If you're going to reach the full capabilities within your company to protect revenue from fraud, it's imperative to find ways to work with cross-functional teams, such as marketing, to know what promotions may drive new customers with bad intentions, customer service to better identify and prevent social engineering attempts, and finance and information security in the process to implement new technology. And I could probably list about 10 more that are important. I think fraud is really one of those teams that can't be insular. You really do, in order to reach full potential, you really do need to work with other departments and teams where it's kind of a push-pull of information They're providing you information sometimes that helps you do your job better. And sometimes you're providing them with information that helps them do the job better. And it helps have a kind of a purpose throughout the company of looking out for suspicious activity in all kinds of ways, not just with stolen payment methods. One of the best people I know to talk about successful ways and approaches to work with other teams is my friend and fellow e-commerce fraud fighter, Diana Gajic Physic head of e-commerce fraud for JD Sports North America, previously known as Finish Line. In today's Fraudology conversation, Diana was going, is going to share some of the tactics she's used to now be asked to consult with several other departments and some of the executive team within her company. Instead of shrugging off the possibility of being understood and respected, She strategically built credibility through demonstrating the importance of fraud prevention, while also showing a commitment to approving orders and new accounts. In today's episode, Diana will provide a few of her best suggestions for how you can improve your ability to demonstrate your value internally, along with a few great examples of how she's done this. We also get to know a little more about her in a rapid fire style list of questions. I always enjoy and learn from my conversations with this remarkable fraud fighter, and I have no doubt that you will enjoy and learn from this interview. With that, here's my conversation with fraud fighter Diana Gajic-Physic. 
I am so happy to bring on a friend of mine to the Fraudology podcast, Diana Gajic Physic at JD Sports North America, also known as Finish Line. Diana's been a fraud fighter for well over 20 years, working for companies such as Macy's, Barclays, and now since 2017, running all of e-commerce risk and fraud for Finish Line and JD Sports North America. Diana, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Carice. You're so welcome. So we've known each other for several years, but I have to say that over the last two years, I think we've uh, moved from acquaintances in the industry to good friends, really because of the biweekly retailer collaboration call that I host on my Zoom, but really you are such an integral part of it. And I'm really grateful for you being a part of those calls and everything else we've been able to do. Yeah, there is something good that came out of this COVID situation because I think this was one of the ways for us to connect and stay connected in fraud industry, especially with conferences not happening and all these events being canceled. It was great. So if anything else, we actually created a really good group and friendship. It's true. There is something very magical about our, you know, every other week calls that we have and uh, really has developed some community and connection there. And it definitely wouldn't be the same without you. So I am glad you're part of it. So, you know, we struggled a little bit because there's so many topics you and I do talk about all the time. Uh, It's also hard to have a conversation for less than three hours when it's you and I. (laughs) Yeah, we know that. So we tried to just focus on one topic for today, but I hope that you can uh, come back on a future episode and we can talk about more. But one of the things I think we've both struggled with throughout our career in different ways, as well as a lot of other people in fraud I hear from, and the question is asked in different ways all the time, but I think a lot of us struggle with internal collaboration. We understand the importance and even the magic sometimes that comes out of external collaboration with our peers in the industry, like with the retailer collaboration call, but internally within our company, sometimes we can feel unappreciated, unacknowledged, you know, just kind of the afterthought. And I know this is something that you've done a really good job with within your company and really working with a lot of other teams. And so I thought that maybe we could talk about that a little bit. And I think people would love to learn from your journey. Absolutely. When you mention external collaboration with with colleagues in an industry and maybe vendors at these events, yeah. I think that's sometimes even easier because mm. all of these people speak our language and you don't have to go into detailed explanation of things. While internally, it's more about educating and informing other parts of your organization and what you do, how you mm. do it, and how and why it's important that you're included. Like you said, I've been in this industry for a very long time, 20 years, maybe a little bit more than that. And I worked in financial industry. I worked with different merchants. And I always noticed one thing. Fraud is an afterthought. Mm. Nobody talks about it. Nobody thinks about it until it becomes a problem. When it becomes a problem to fix it, it's usually very costly. It usually is very complex and it takes a lot more than it would have if you originally just plugged it in. Hmm. So I also noticed that as a result of that, uh, fraud always functions in silo. All of these groups are always separated. They do not um, communicate with the rest of the organization, with the rest of with other teams. And that's maybe partially our own fault. Hmm. 
just because we're trying to keep some of these processes secretive and to have it a better result. But I think I mentioned before, we, I believe there are three reasons why there is a lack of collaboration. One is the fact that we keep ourselves in silo all the time. Number two, let's be honest, we do slow down the processes. I mean, when there is a project, there is an initiative, if, if risk department and fraud department comes in, we're going to come up with all these bad scenarios. We're going to come up with all these risk gaps, how losses can happen, and we're going to require additional things that will most likely slow down the entire project. Mm. So sometimes we are kept out. Maybe mm, not on purpose, but we are kept out just in order to make something com- to get something completed faster. And the third one is probably the biggest reason is lack of knowledge on mm-hmm. the part of other groups. Mm-hmm. They simply don't know what the risks are. They simply don't know how these losses can happen, and they're not supposed to know. We are. So I always try to make um, us part of the other departments and their processes. But I figured out that. It, that's wrong. Early on, I figured out that's wrong. So I tried mm. to make them part of our processes mm. in what we do. But we've done that through our cross-department collaboration. We created kind of, we separated risk process in four categories, prevention, investigation, reporting and al- analytics, and strategy. Mm. And each department in the organization plays a role in one or more of these categories. They definitely all play a role in strategy, but they can also be part of prevention. They can be part of investigation and um, reporting as well. Simple example, I always talk cybersecurity, for example. They are one of our biggest investigation partners. Anytime we notice a trend, every time we see something new going on, we will talk to our cybersecurity and tell them, hey, go ahead and research for us. Reach out to whomever you know, your partners, your vendors, to tell us if you know anything else. And that helps us create some new strategies or kind of have more information. Also, one other example is our digital teams, our merchandising team shares all events, sales, in our case, new product launches Mm. with us. We share it with our fraud screening because you do not um, screen for fraud or risk during the launch event as you would during the regular event. Mm. I mean, it's definitely a different type of customer, different type of attack that you have. Maybe individual fraud attacks during the regular sales versus bots during the launch. So it does require a different approach. That's way we can actually prepare better. We can handle these situations better and, of course, be more effective. All of these groups, whatever group this is, we all participate in digital strategy, which is or digital risk strategy, which is talking about what we've seen in the past, what we are preparing to do in the future, how we're going to handle all of this. So it's not that simple. I mean, it sounds much more simple than it is. <laughs> it's a very complex process. It's very front loaded. It does require a lot at the beginning, but later on, it flows much mm-hmm. easier once you have groups established, all of the tracking information established, and so on. This podcast is sponsored by Sion, the modern fraud prevention solution for the most ambitious fintech names like Revolut, Afterpay, and Wise. Uniquely combining device and digital footprint. With social signals and AI, Sion gives real-time insights into every transaction. It's the preferred risk tech stack for a digital generation. Get started for free at sion.io slash demo. No, my gosh, no. I mean, I don't think so, at least. No, I think that was a lot of really good information, and I want to dive into a little bit more of it. You know, a lot of times, the struggle I hear from fraud fighters is, you know, they should know, like other teams should know that we need to know about the marketing, right? They should know this or that. And I think you're so right on 
that there's a lack of knowledge and understanding within the organization of not only what we do, but the importance of it, why it's important. And I think what I've found is the people who are good at having allies internally within their company have taken the time to say, hey, this is what we do and this is why we do it. And here's you know how it's important. And then often asking for their help, right? Asking for them to say, hey, this is what we're working on. This is what we're seeing. But maybe you could help fill in the gaps, you know, like with marketing, right? We're seeing some weird trends here and there. Do you have some affiliate data that could help us see if there's more of a pattern of where these orders are coming through, where these new customers are coming from? Maybe there's one specific website that has a link to your website that's driving some very risky behavior. You may not know that unless you bring marketing in and ask for their help. So I think the that's very foundational, but such a key importance. What are some of the things you did at the very beginning of working? I mean, we'll just take with this with in this current position, or you can talk about, you know, in past as well. What are some examples for people who are starting a new role or who haven't really done this as an effort, but really want, they want the outcome, but they haven't done the work to lead them to the outcome uh, of having internal, you know, supporters and people who understand what they do and who can help and then also back them up on new initiatives and new projects and new bringing in new vendors, et cetera. What, if somebody's starting a new role, what do you, what do you suggest that they, they do to kind of not come in like a wrecking ball and instead you know, try to bring people to work with you? I think that that answer can be very long and complex, yeah. but I'll try to simplify that to tracking. I think mm-hmm. it's extremely important to track the performance. Mm-hmm. If you track your, your uh, performance, your approval rate, decline rate, charge rate, insult rate, whatever you want to call the uh, decline rate. Mm-hmm. And if you can show how their processes or some of their initiatives are impacting your performance mm. in a positive or negative way, it's going to be easier for them to make changes. But I think you brought up a good point. Like with marketing, you see the spike and you react to it. First mm-hmm. time you react to it. Next time you try to be proactive and ask them, hey, instead of me waiting yeah. to see what's going to spike, can you tell me ahead of time? <laughs> so... It is involving process. You really have to talk to a lot of people. You have to really build a lot of relationship. And sometimes I always say about Mm -hmm. myself, you have to be a little bit aggressive and I'm known to be aggressive. (laughs) Or let's let's put it in a positive way. Correct. I'm persistent. Yes. (laughs) And it may appear like I went away and I'm not going to ask again, but I most likely will maybe in a month or two. But I... (laughs) One thing I think everybody knows about me is I'm not going to stop asking. If I ask for something once, I'll probably ask until I get it. But the way I also approached all of this, instead of me coming and asking for a lot of new things, new vendors, new reports, I first tried to identify by identifying teams that will help me. What is it that they have that I can use? Yes. Repurposing existing report, existing data, instead of creating something new, I just tried to use what already exists. And then with that, it's easier to build a case to maybe ask for something new. Mm-hmm. And also that means not adding budget, not adding staffing, and you are increasing your performance, but you're not really adding any more um, costs to your group. So mm-hmm. I think it's very important to understand what already is, exists, what can I use, 
And then based on that, what, what is it there that I need to ask for? Mm -hmm. So again, it's really not, it's not that simple. It does take time, but it's a great starting point to see what exists in mm -hmm. asking for something new that it may or may not work. Absolutely. And I think that also shows within, I think it's all about building credibility within the company, especially when you're new. And to your point, you know, there are a lot of people in other departments, whether it's marketing or customer service or warehouse or, you know, digital merchandising or whatever it is, where they see the fraud department as stopping or stopping their progress or, you know, bogging them down or always saying no. And so I think that's where a lot of the tension comes in is marketing does a huge marketing blitz, right? Like with, you know, 30% off the whole website and the fraud department had no idea. Well, instead of going to marketing and saying, why didn't you tell me you should know? Well, maybe start off with, hey, it dawned on me that maybe I haven't done the best job at explaining what my team and I do. Would love to grab some time on your calendar to show you. I was just thinking of a guy that worked oh he still works for a very large company but he worked for one of the biggest social media companies in the world several years ago and he used to say that one of his and he was more on the payment side than the fraud side but kind of did a little bit of both and he, he said i'm pretty sure that 50 percent of my job is telling the rest of the company what the other 50 percent of my job is <laughs> but the fact that he did that meant that he would literally go from team to team to team and he had like a similar deck and he would explain, you know, this is what we do. This is why it matters. Here's how I can help you. Here's how my team can be a resource to you. We actually have a lot of data about our customers. We have a lot of trending analysis and information that might be really helpful to your company, to your team. But, yeah. you know, by offering what can I do for you, then you're also, you know, helping them realize, oh, okay. So then when they see an anomaly or weird behavior somewhere on their end in their system, they're like, huh. I wonder if front should know about this. Yeah. And they start thinking about you more. That's definitely the case because I've seen some emails that come afterwards. For example, they send the mass email to everyone and then there is an email forwarded to me. Oops, I forgot, but probably you should know this, which if true, at least they remember that afterwards. <laughs> um, at least, yeah. We right, right. But isn't most of fraud fighting trying to get in front of being proactive versus reactive in everything, whether it's chargebacks or fraud or working with other teams? I think it brought up a great point because I think that is our main problem. At least that's what it was mm. my main problem. Mm -hmm. because we are still heavily focused on stopping chargebacks. That, that's <laughs> why we kind of get into this mode of what we can stop instead of what can we bring. So I think if we change our mindsets to how can we help grow this revenue, mm -hmm. but at the same time do it at the minimal risk, yes. of course not to cause friction or cause minimal friction, then we're going to probably, they're going to make us part of their team a lot easier than if we just talk, mm, this is what we're going to stop. Let's mm -hmm. go with, this is how we're going to help make it safer. And I think that's definitely going to give us a different response. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, you know, for those of us that have been in fraud for, you know, more than a decade and still we're so young. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but for those of us that have been in it for more than a decade, I think that we remember the days where it was all about stopping. It was all about stopping chargebacks. It was all about, you know, and that unfortunately, I think also gave our industry as a whole bad reputation 
with others. So whenever people go to other companies in other fields, right, whether it's marketing or customer service, sometimes they're like, oh, the fraud department does nothing but cancel orders. They don't understand the context. I think that giving them the assurance that we know what we're doing and we're focused on building revenue too, just in a different, more quality way, I think is really important. I used to, and I didn't do the best job at this when I first started. It was all about stopping the charge. Yeah. But something I learned was, well, what about being able to share with them that I understand who pays my paycheck? Fraudsters don't pay my paycheck. No. If anything, the money gets, you know, negative. What pays my paycheck is the good customers. And so helping teams, and I try to do this when I'm consulting with companies too, is saying, hey, my approach is to give you maximize maximize your revenue and your sales while decreasing the risk. Minimizing risk. Minimizing risk. Yeah. And it is possible. It's not all or nothing. You Sometimes it does mean bringing on a little bit more chargebacks, but shoot, if you can add, you know, 10% more revenue, but increase your chargebacks by 1%, it's totally worth it. And so I think it really is being able to continually communicate within your company. I know who pays my paycheck. I know who pays my bonuses. I know who keeps this the company slights on. I want to help those customers have the best experience possible. That's why I'm doing all these things behind the scenes. That's why we're adding this vendor or retooling this process or we're doing that or whatever. But we also need to keep them safe. Yeah, and I think when you mentioned we used to be seen as a stopping mm-hmm. sales, and that was true. That's, mm-hmm. that's what it was. Fraud industry is still relatively young. Yes. It's still relatively new. We just talked earlier about how there are no trainings. There is nothing <laughs> official out there that can teach you how to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was in the beginning because we really didn't have tools that could help us uh, be more proactive rather than just reactive. I think the best source we had to know how our fraud looks like were chargebacks. Mm-hmm. That's how we knew how fraud looks like. Of course, yep. it's extremely reactive. That's our main feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. But right now with all the tools we have available with everything else that exists out there, it's a lot easier to take this proactive approach and take this revenue growth approach rather than just stopping sales, which of course, it's what we're trying to do, stop fraudsters, but I think we can all shift in just this positive way. So I, I think that also tells you that you're speaking your organizational language and then they will be talking back to you and it's going to be a lot easier to get their attention, to get the funds for anything new that you want to do. But when you said how, how long we've been in this, I always say I was AVS, you know. AVS response we got from the bank. Yeah, I was AVS. I was the one picking up the phone, calling the bank in Turkey and trying to say in English or any other language, uh, reading the credit card numbers over the phone. And the best thing I remember, um, one of the credit card companies, I'm not going to say which one, when they finally came up with uh, automated service. Mm. And I, I still have an accent, but I had horrible accent back then. They just could not pick up me saying zip code. And never, but, no, it was a struggle. I would say zip code. And then the <laughs> lady would say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Uh-huh. Can you please repeat? So I think everyone in my department knew when I started cussing and yelling that I'm actually talking <laughs> to this particular bank. 
It was a struggle, but that's how it was. You get an order, you don't have a match. You don't mm-hmm. have the information. You actually have to pick up the phone to call. So no wonder no wonder we were slower. We were just focusing on stopping <laughs> this fraud because, you know, that was pretty much all we had time yeah. for. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. didn't have half of the technology that we have now. And Absolutely. I mean, with new technology comes great opportunity as well as some... <laughs> you know, some frustrations Frust. and other issues, fraudsters, as well as, you know, all the sales emails and everything else. Like, that's such a long conversation. I talked with Jordan Harris about that a few weeks ago on the podcast. Just some of the, yeah. some of the tactics of the vendors that, you know, are welcomed and not welcomed. But, and that could be like a total other conversation as well. But, you know, how, speaking of new technology, how do you build a business case for new technology that, could possibly impact another team or that you could share with it? How is, because I really think that this is something that not enough solution providers are are focused on helping merchants with. Like if they were able to help them in a better way, create a business case specific to their company and also in how it can help other teams. There's, I mean, I could go into so much more detail and then I'm just going to leave there, but like you know, how, how do you, how do you do that? What is, what are kind of some of your goals around that? So like I mentioned earlier, tracking, I Mm -hmm. I think my team tracks everything and anything we possibly can. We cover seven different processes right now, and we are literally tracking on a daily basis, the performance of, of these processes and how how effective we are. Mm-hmm. So I think if you, this actually gives you an opportunity to understand where your gap is. Yes. And then you try to figure out how to close that gap. I think that it, it is very difficult to get new technology to get new vendor on board. Mm-hmm. As we know, there is a specific process for every company is a different process, but I think they're probably <laughs> all similar mm-hmm. otherwise and so on. But what I think is important and that really depends on the organization to have this more an, of an open mind and mm. more innovative approach, which I really think our organization has a very innovative approach to yeah. everything. Um, it's to understand what's coming. Mm. Is there something out there that can help us resolve maybe something we may have in the future? Like if yeah. we have a project that is going to happen a year from now, is there something, is there a risk with that project? And is there something that can help us mitigate this risk? A year from now. I, I think one of the things that is very kind of unique for us as far as merchant is that we have a town takeover solution. Mm. I know that there are many merchants right now that they're bringing this solution, but we actually have account secure for very long time, which mm-hmm. is not something that typically merchants have. This is most more, most, more something that financial institution will have when you're logging in to check your information. Mm-hmm. This yours, this isn't you. Yeah, I think Google had it, but for the merchants, merchants didn't really have this feature. On the, I would say on the retail side, right? On, on the, the retail physical side, yeah. goods retail side, definitely for digital goods like gaming, Absolutely. travel, event ticketing, they've had to they had they've had to secure lot, yeah. accounts for quite a while. Sometimes it's not the fraud team that oversees that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. From a from a retailer perspective, there hasn't been as much focus from technology on the account security itself. 
And I think with that, we didn't even know how much of risk we had in that area. Yeah, true. Because we measure risk and losses based on the chargebacks we received, but we didn't know how many attacks they were on credential stuffing and how many attacks never actually moved down to the order level. So you didn't even know you lost the credential for someone unless it does come down and customer complains and you get the chargeback or call or anything like that. But I, I think this kind of opened up all another area that we are exposed to these type of attacks as well. And there is a need to protect that information. And another thing is that there are some events that we have right now that we're going to have in the future that actually having that account secure is protecting and giving more uh, credibility to that event and more secure event for our good customers, which means we overall, we are improving experience yeah. for our customers. We didn't plan this three years ago when we started with secure, but right now it's actually a great feature that makes the whole process and whole event safer. That's such a good point where you're able to go to other teams and say, hey, you know, we want to be able to increase customer experience by ensuring that our good customers, the ones that are loyal to our company, the ones that, you know, really want that special edition sneaker or whatever it is, that they're the ones being able to purchase those items. That helps with several goals. It doesn't just help with fraud prevention, right? It helps with customer experience, with engagement. How many headlines have we seen about different brands in all areas that have limited amount of inventory on something special that have bought takeovers and, and that haven't been able to put a layered, the best layered approach in? Maybe they might go for the shiniest object in technology, but is it working when headlines come out? That's, you know, a hypothetical, of course. But, um, uh, you know, I, but of yes, of course, as I wink in the Zoom. But I think that your approach in working with so many different organizations within your company to say, hey, we have our goals can align here. You guys want to make sure that our good customers are the ones that are taking home these special items. I want to ensure that people aren't stealing them from our company. That actually overlaps. And so let's invest in this technology together. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to my major mission Mm -hmm. statement. Everything I do on a daily basis, it goes back to my mission statement. Mm -hmm. Revenue increase with minimal friction and minimal risk. First one is how can we drive sales? Second is to create the least amount of friction to the customer, possibly no friction, and then with minimal risk. Mm. Everything we do, all of our processes, the way we organize and we operate in this way. We also have our KPIs are organized in exactly the same way. I think recently there was a conversation, a post on LinkedIn, something when they were talking about KPIs for fraud groups mm-hmm. and somebody started with fraud rate. I'm like, no, 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 no. Fraud <laughs> rate is the third for me. Is it an important, is it important? Yes, it's very, very important mm-hmm. that some of the companies out there know how important it is. But for me, is it which goes mm-hmm. directly to drive revenue. Absolutely. Salt rate, which yep. goes back to customer friction. So I try to make sure that everything we do, the way we monitor, the way we track, and what we are working with, everything answers back to that main mission. Hmm. So well said. And I know from knowing you for quite a while and having a lot of in-depth conversations that that is very, very true. And I think that that also builds your credibility within your company, right? When people realize, oh, Diana's main goal is to help us build revenue 
with minimal friction. But she's also really, really good at protecting our company and, you know, having that drive and having that credibility then leads to more opportunities for working together as well as, again, when they see something, they'll, they'll say something rather than not even thinking about risk, right? There's, you know, not even thinking, oh, this could be bad. It, so yep. I think, and I know a lot of people are jealous of that, that you have that now, but like you've said, it took years of long. continually showing up and providing for other teams and saying, hey, can you help me with this? Or I want to help you, you know, how can I help you first? Yes. And like you said, it takes forever to do this and it's still not perfect. Yeah. I don't think it's perfect ever. Okay. There are still things when I'm just thinking, okay, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I've never done. Um, and I, I can honestly say we have monthly meeting with the larger group where we talk about fraud and mm-hmm. uh, events on their end and what they're doing, regardless of that's digital event or marketing event or is it something cybersecurity does. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk about this and then I think about what we can do to make sure or what kind of risk this can cause. There are some meetings that I got out of and I'm like, oh my gosh, this was horrible. <laughs> there was no, uh, there was absolutely no productivity out of this meeting whatsoever. And then, but I still, next month, I still go into the meeting and I go again, again, again. I think that's where my persistency comes in. I'm yeah. still going to go and do it because out right. of 10 meetings, two may be great, <laughs> but out of two great meetings, I'm going to get so much that I'm going to see the results for years to come. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, moving on to a little bit, you know, we're going to close out in a little bit, but I'd love for you to share a good example of a recent time where you needed to work with other teams. And one that I can think of off the top of my head is when you started to see, like the majority of retailers, started to see an increase in INR claims last year, which for those that don't know that term, it's inventory not received. This is something I've talked about a lot, refund fraud, but it can also be very legitimate too. And so that's where it makes it really challenging. You can't just paint all INR claims with the same broad brush because there are often times where that is true and relevant and the customer needs to be taken care of. So what can you share about this time and what will you um, be sure to do if there's a next time? Because I know you had to work with customer service, with the warehouse, with, you know, all different companies. Well, what actually happened, I think our company has been looking at this kind of uh, undelivered merchandise or DNRs, as we call them, for a very, very long time. And I think this all started as a customer experience improvement. Like, what yeah. do, um, how to improve customer experience when it comes to delivering this merchandise and when it comes to make, making sure that they receive it? So we did not think about refund fraud at all. We knew that there was something going on, but we didn't think about refund fraud being it. So we we started evaluating this. We collaborated with customer service. We collaborated, of course, with our e-commerce operation, with supply chain and transportation department, trying to break down how this happens and what can we improve in that process to make sure that this is not happening anymore or that we at least minimize the impact of this. And through all of this research and analysis and everything we've done, we actually, and the retail collaboration call that we had, or we still have, mm-hmm. we actually stumbled on something huge. Yeah, we did. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we realized how huge it was. And I, I, I no. kind of, yeah, it was, it was pretty eye-opening when you share that information. 
on refunding fraud. Mm-hmm. But it started as something that was not supposed to be fraud related. Fraud related. Yeah. No, I honestly didn't think it was fraud related either. I just had so many retailers reach out like, has anyone else seen this? And I thought, well, I mean, let's just hop on a call and find out. And we were starting out with like, well, what carrier do you use? Is this all on this carrier or that carrier? Is it all in the same geography? Do they all go to the same you know, processing center for the carrier? And is there's a problem there? Like we were really trying to use our ability, our problem solving and ability to figure out like, you know, where's the breakdown? What's the motivation? Where's the breakdown, et cetera? Where's the commonality? And yeah, there were, yeah. it was a combination of things in a two day period where my brain just like, Oof, whoa, it is fraud. And here's why. And it's more systematic and more intentional, which when things are systematic and intentional, we can identify signals. So it's been quite the process. Maybe one day we'll, you know, write a book about it because it's been crazy. But, you know, you did have to. So that's interesting that you worked on it. You were helping your company work on it from a customer experience aspect. Like, wow, there's a we've seen a huge increase in people not getting what they ordered. So how can we, you know, go back and find root cause analysis? But I do also have to go back and say that uh, given the fact that we got our actual credit card, traditional fraud under control to some level that we actually had much more time mm. to go and explore other areas or where there is a potential opportunity mm. to save, save some, some, save some revenue. And at the same time, we were looking at this and we were looking at how to improve customer experience overall. So it, it wasn't just, it wasn't, we were not just focusing on specifically INRs. Right. Uh, because we do track these with other reason codes as well. We were just trying to understand, is there something else happening there as far as process improvement? Then we saw that there actually, we as a retail group saw that there was an opportunity, that there was a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say that the, the fact that we were tracking all of these uh, returns and refunds in a separate ways by reason mm-hmm. code helped us a lot to understand it, how it, this is You happening. were light years then, ahead of a lot of people on it. Yeah. And we would, then we were able to come up with some of these uh, strategies that were actually considered the best practices later on, on yeah. tracking information, on collecting information from the customer upon the call. And I think that helped us minimize this issue so much in, uh, and kind of get somewhat control over this. Mm-hmm. So, but I think talking about refunding fraud, that could probably be another two-hour conversation it because be. it's so complex <laughs> and there are so many ways that it's, this happens. But I am proud to say that Finish Line JD Sports is on the on on the fraudsters list. Says do not go. It's yes, not I do have it. I have really enjoyed finding those and taking screenshots and sending them to you when that oh, happens. Yeah. Yes, that's huge. And you know, you make a really good point, and that is that you know because. You said that because you guys had gotten a lot of the credit card and payment fraud under control, that you had more time to look at other issues and be brought in as a consultant within your company to identify problems. And I think that that's actually a big reason why refund fraud has become so big is that overall as an industry and specifically to retail, because right now that's where we're seeing a lot of refund fraud issues and partially because they're physical goods and that's more doable, though I've definitely seen some people try, some refunders try on digital side and with varying levels of success. But I think that, you know, it's because collectively as an industry, we've gotten better at identifying fraudulent activity and risky indicators that fraudsters are moving to other types of fraud, whether it's promo code abuse, loyalty, 
you know, others. But I think that also makes all of this a lot easier. In the past, we didn't talk this much. Not mm -hmm. only that we didn't have an opportunity, maybe we had less opportunity because we were only meeting at conferences, but yeah, I, yeah. Don't think, I don't think companies were collaborating on anything in the past as much as we collaborate right now. I always say maybe we are competitors when it comes to the product we sell, but when it comes to fraud, we are fighting, we're definitely allies and we definitely need to think in that way. And, and I'm so grateful for these calls that we have, because as you know, we have WhatsApp group. I am actually in touch with some of these fraud fighters individually. Mm -hmm. You'll learn a lot. You hear about these trends. You hear about some of the addresses that may be potentially compromised, even some individuals. We really do talk and share this information share the best practices. And I think that's what's overall making us very successful. Mm -hmm. And like we said, better tools we have, fraudsters will get more sophisticated. That's why fraud is getting so complex. It's not just credit card anymore now. It's yeah. fun. And it's policy abuse. It's always going to be something. But what I think, one thing I didn't mention, and it's very important, that fraud teams do have to observe the entire life cycle of the transaction. Oh, you yeah. Handle the mm -hmm. fraud. You can't just look at the credit card point of that transaction or the DNR, INR, whatever you call it. You have to look at it from the moment customer enters your site yeah. until the moment customer calls in to claim whatever and you complete that claim. So that entire life cycle of the transaction and the entire customer journey on your site, you have to look at the each specific point and see where's the risk, where's the gap, where is the most likely this loss to happen and try to close that gap, of course. Absolutely. And I'm very proud of the group that we've created in this way and I'm hoping to find ways and opportunities to scale that more to even more enterprise merchants, because I do think that we've created a really cool community of about 45 to 50 of the biggest retailers in the U.S. And I'm proud of all of us for doing oh, that. Absolutely. And I think that we, a lot has been accomplished in that time and as well as friendships been developed and, and all of that. All right. So let's switch to something fun. I wanted to ask you just a few rapid fire questions that are, you know, mixed with a little bit of fraud and a little bit of fun. I don't know. Those of us <laughs> that are in fraud, our version of fun is always different than everyone else's, but <laughs> so I fun too. Yes, I know. It's important. What is your favorite? I know the answer to most of these, but I want other people to learn them. What is your favorite hobby outside of working and being a fraud? My favorite hobby is definitely traveling. I travel a lot. Unfortunately, not lately, but I am planning to do that again. I do travel a lot. And my second favorite hobby is baking. I bake yes. cakes and petite fours and cookies. I actually have my in-home bakery Unfortunately, I do not ship right now. I only sell in my area where I live, but I do find some time to bake. It's usually my favorite and best de-stressor. Mm -hmm. That's the word. And I think it's torture because I get to see a lot of the pictures of the incredible <laughs> baked goods, mostly Serbian baked goods, it is. which are incredibly beautiful and look really delicious. So anyone who's yeah. listening who is in the Cincinnati area, you're in luck. <laughs> contact diana on linkedin bit cakery yes bit cakery <laughs> at least you can look at the beautiful pictures if nothing else they'll make you drool <laughs> they're gorgeous uh it's amazing that you're not like 400 pounds because <laughs> your baking just looks so amazing hey they are fat-free sugar-free diet completely 100%. oh yeah no no not they're not <laughs> they should have believed somebody that. was asking me once if i bake diet cakes i'm like no 
what's the point? Yep, right? No. <laughs> it tastes the best with butter and sugar. Just yeah, the way it needs. And I know you said that you love to travel, but, and I, I think I know the answer to this too, but what's your, where's your favorite place to go on vacation? As you know, I love Greece. Mm -hmm. This is, I, I think, like, maybe in my past life, I lived there sometimes. I absolutely love Greece. Crete is my favorite. There is this little city um, on island Crete called Agios Nikolaos, which is actually St. Nicholas. Huh. And it is beautiful little city. I think it's the north side of the island. Hmm. And I go there almost every year. I sometimes go there for a long period of time that I work and um, vacation. Hopefully one day I'll go back there and live, stay there. Get me an excuse to go hang out there. I know it looks, I've gotten to see pictures of where you're going to be staying this summer and I am very jealous. <laughs> you can come and join me. Hey, bring your laptop. We can do work. Don't do work me short. That. Yes, absolutely. Well, I am definitely tempted. What is your favorite thing about attending conferences and events? As I mentioned earlier, um, since this is such a niche industry, and mm -hmm. I, I think I know very few people around me in this location that do what I do, Right, it is really good to connect to people who uh, have same interests, who speak the same language, and it's just learning some new things from them because everybody has some new ideas, some new strategies, mm -hmm. some, some new trend that they discovered. So I absolutely love attending conferences because it, it's, I feel like in my own world yep. when I'm there. So I absolutely enjoy that. I often tell people that it feels like a high school reunion with people that you like. It does. It does. <laughs> so I explain it. With most of the people you like. Well, yeah, just like, you know, yeah, just like families or, or high school. They're, you know, they're, it is. we don't, we're not best friends with everyone, but I would say a very good majority. <laughs> but it definitely is like seeing friends. Every time I go back to one of the mm -hmm. conferences, I always see some people that I absolutely enjoy talking to and spending time with. It definitely is like seeing some old friends, which actually it is true. It's well, uh, yeah. And I think just like one more point on that. I've been noticing a lot of the similar traits that fraud fighters have. And I think that that's why we you know, often will develop friendships as well is because there's just we have a lot of similarities in what we're interested in and what we enjoy doing and and how we think about things and all of that. So it's also that validation because back to what we've been talking about today, oftentimes when you're in fraud prevention, you kind of feel like you're on an island, that you're the only person in your company yeah. or that you and your team, and especially if you're the leader of the team, you kind of feel like it's on you, that once you can go to a conference and, and talk to people that are similar to you, it's just really, there's something comforting about it. And I would say that you know, as much as in-person conferences are really can't be replicated, there have been some really great virtual events that we've had and seen. And, you know, the entire retail collaboration call has happened over Zoom. There's a lot of people in that call that I've never met in person, but hopefully will as the world starts opening up again. And absolutely, those calls are definitely very, very important. I know there were a lot of virtual events that I uh, attended in the past mm -hmm. two years. I learned a lot from most of them. But our calls are something like almost a group of friends just getting together and yeah. talking through things. And it doesn't even feel like work anymore. It doesn't even feel like something I have to do. Mm -hmm. It definitely feels like something I want to do because it's great to just share 
whatever concerns, whatever difficulties, challenges we have, because that's what we share too. And we help each other out too. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely- Sometimes we just need to rant too. Like there's been oh, yeah. more than one time where somebody's come on and just said, oh, I just feel so defeated because of this or that or whatever. And we can all be like, yep, understand that. We've been there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes it's about working internally with other teams. <laughs> How oh, often yeah. it is. Uh, <laughs> What is your favorite fraud story? I'll pick that's hard to choose. One. Oh, yeah. Unfor- unfortunately, I, it is. Mm-hmm. I love my birthday boy. I just, uh, I, he actually opened up the whole new world of risk for me. <laughs> birthday boy was a um, person who was opening multiple accounts and he opened them in a span of, I don't know, a couple of months, but he was opening, he opening them in two days increments. And or one day I can remember right now, but he was putting their birth date also one day after the previous account. Mm-hmm. So he would receive a lot of birthday promotions. And when he started receiving those promotions and using them, that's when we caught him. So um, it was interesting because it was something that we didn't look into before. This mm-hmm. is an account create point where mm-hmm. the risk was. This is when actually we were prompted to look at that more closely and verify all of these accounts open on a daily basis and weekly basis. But he was definitely my, I know it doesn't sound as exciting, but at that time, it was very exciting to go through all of the orders, to go through all of the accounts that were open and loyalty points and try to stop him and try to deactivate his accounts and remove everything that he has done and stop some orders and get them back. So it was pretty interesting, but it was very creative how he thought of that. No, he was losing different information for sure, but it was very creative how he thought to go and put the birth date day after every time. So that way he would start receiving these birthday codes for weeks and he would always get 20% of 10% of as much as the one. <laughs> he's got to wonder if he's like, oh, it's my birthday again. Yay. Well, he's our birthday boy right now and he definitely will not do that again. Uh, <laughs> well, and it's a good example of just, you know, how creative fraudsters are. And I doubt that he considers himself a fraudster. He probably thinks, oh, I was clever and I got around the system. That's, you know, and he didn't need a stolen credit card, right? He just was continually creating an account for himself and saying his birthday was tomorrow and getting the benefits of those things. Uh, and you say this is actually, I said that this kind of prompted us to watch a concrete, but we started watching something else. We started lo- watching low dollar amounts mm. because that's how I actually caught him, if I remember correctly, because I started seeing some orders that come through with the lower dollar amounts that are average dollar amount in the velocity, in a higher velocity than what what I usually see. So that kind of prompts me to look at the low dollar amount transactions, because that's usually where your reward points, coupon points, coupons and uh, promo codes are being abused. Mm. Because if your average dollar amount is, I don't know, $200, why do you have $10 orders if you don't even sell a product that's $10? Right. That's a good point. But as fraud professionals, we will always focus on high dollar amounts because that's what carries most of the weight for the chargeback. But the loss can happen in the other way too. Absolutely. It can be death by a thousand paper cuts, so to speak. And that's still revenue losses. And oftentimes people who abuse promotions and, you know, promotional codes and coupons, et cetera, they tell their friends. And so, you know, it's important to, it's not just one person creating this. It's like, hey, I figured out how to, you know, get whatever it is, like a continual yeah. 20% off or, or stacking them or whatever they're doing. So it's important to look at that. And I think that, you know, when you are looking at plugging all those different holes, 
your company gets a reputation within the fraudster community of don't even bother. And that's what I was talking with Gil Rosenthal about last week on our conversation on the podcast was about how important it is really our biggest goal should be trying to ensure that if fraudsters were to take to steal from our company, it's going to cost them too much time and too much money and they're just going to go somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, they, the reputation you get, oh, don't even bother. You can also get the reputation, hey, it's <laughs> wide open, go. And that's what fraudsters good point. communicate and they will definitely attack and take advantage of whatever risk gaps you have there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, final question for this conversation. But like I said, I hope that we can have you back on the podcast again soon. Obviously, I enjoy our conversations and, and know that you have a lot of great information and experience to share with others. But what is, if you could boil it down to one or two, what is a reason that you enjoy being in fraud prevention? This is not my job. This <laughs> is definitely my lifestyle. Mm. And I can honestly say that I, I love doing what I do. If I would do it, if I had enough money to go and retire in Greece, I would probably do it for free. I've said that before as well, actually. Like if I were to win the lottery, I would still want to help companies in fraud prevention. It's a it's a passion and a calling more than a job. You're totally Absolutely. Definitely passion. And why I like fraud prevention specifically in the e-commerce industry is because of uh, this way of reacting fast and seeing the results. Fast. Mm -hmm. I've worked in the banking industry. You also do some great things and put some great strategies in place and stop risks and stop fraud. But the results take much longer for you to see implementation of anything that you want to do takes much longer. In the e-commerce right. industry, it's a face-based environment. It changes really fast. Trends change, tools change, strategies change. And I love the fact that it's so dynamic, that it's so fast, and it allows me to see the results of my work. Hmm. I completely agree with that. Hundred <laughs> percent. Good. <laughs> Well, Diana, thank you again for joining me on Fraudology. And I will put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can find you if they don't already know your brilliance. And I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.
thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.